fight. Three, two, one. Welcome to Arcade Attack. <laughs> A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Sonic Boom! Welcome back, listeners. It's Adrian here from Market Attack, and I've got another super guest, another Sega legend. Eric uh, Quakenbush. Hopefully, I'll pronounce that right. Is that Quakenbush, right? Quakenbush. Yeah, you did it perfect. Uh, mostly, uh, folks I run into will will throw a C in there and say Quakenbush. And then I moved to Hawaii, and it turns out everybody that went to grade school here, if they went to public grade school, they all say Quakenbush right off the bat the first time they they see it. Nice. And I thought, wow, I, I guess I did find the right place to settle down. <laughs> it's like a Dutch name, and almost everybody trips on it. But good job. Good job. And obviously, you know, you've got a great video game in your surname as well. It was a bonus. So. <laughs> yeah well that made it hard to get handles though because as soon as quake came out all of a sudden you can't get social media handles with the word quake in it oh. and then uh marvel has a quake too so wow that's why well, the things you never really think about um look eric you're we've had a lot of sega people in the pod before i'm really looking forward to our chat but before we start talking about sega which will i'm pretty sure will be the bulk of our interview um when you were growing up as a kid, were you always into video games yourself? What were your earliest memories? Can you give us a little background about how you, you, know, you how you grew up with games, basically? Yeah, they uh, it started with arcade, and then they had uh, a little biplane war game where you just flew little biplanes at each other and shot a little machine gun, and it was just like uh, fascinating. And it was a, I think it was a bar top, so it was a little uh, horizontal one, and we found that on vacation and just played the hell out of it. And um, it worked up from there. And then I, I grew up in Silicon Valley. So we had uh, um, the first probably uh, uh, games that would show up in an arcade or a bar. They would actually be in our valley. And then um, got, I don't think we got ColecoVision, but we had a, a friend of the family that actually worked there. So their family had it. And then um, we had Atari, the the... 2600 and played the hell out of every one of those cards and played adventure which yeah. i'm sure you've seen it oh, and yeah. it's the least amount of stuff on screen that you could get to represent a sword or a dragon or a castle completely immersive back then yeah <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were in it and then like to find out you had to find a you know an invisible chunk in the wall there's no indication whatsoever that that stuff's there you just have to like find out either by complete luck or that you lost a couple swords in the wall, and then you learned to stay away from the wall mostly, nice. um, and uh, just crazy stuff like that. And then uh, I played Howard's. Uh, my my best friend Jerome was a. Uh, I hadn't met him at this point. He's working in um, Atari doing all the graphics. So he turned out to do um, Raiders of Lost Raiders of the Lost Ark with our friend Howard, who's the programmer, and uh, ET. And I played ET at a demo kind of a trailer and i thought this is the worst game i've ever played <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's infamous isn't it it's it, it well you have to read the instructions it's like i was at a demo they didn't have instructions and if i was at home i wouldn't have read the instructions either and so oh, uh but then i go on to work at apple and, and make the instructions but uh um i played the hell out of everything i spent uh my entire 
last year of high school, just hanging out in an arcade, playing Tron, Popeye, um, probably started playing pinball. I love pinball. And um, what was the other ones right back then? It was like 82. And so I was just the right age for almost all these things to be kind of rolling along. I just missed working in 8-bit, which I really wanted to do the covers. There was a, a company in Las Gatas. I, I grew up, so Silicon Valley is made up of a couple different towns. And uh, right over the hill is the beach, Santa Cruz, where they filmed Lost Boys. Quite and uh, uh, so the uh, Silicon Valley is growing, but I'm in the little corner pocket there on the south called Las Gatas. And they had uh, one um, video game developer there. And uh, they made carts with, uh, I should have looked up the name, but it's just hitting me now. They did um, models, like the uh, special effects miniatures. They would set those up and then take a picture of it, and that would be the label of their cart. And I, I build stuff like that. I've always built models, and I just started building dioramas and things. And uh, I thought, well, they'd hire a teenager if he knew what he was doing. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I had it and thought, you know, I should do this. And I think I even went and, and talked to him at the company because my dad was a doctor locally. So that meant he knew somebody at almost every company because mm. people just overlap. And, uh, yeah, I got in there and uh, chatted with them, but I was such a youngster that I didn't follow up on anything. And then it turned out the guy that ran the company was young. He was like the owner of the company or the CEO. He got rich fast because that's the way the cartridge business was then yeah. when Atari was booming. He got like a Lamborghini or some really high-end car that was way above his uh, ability to handle, drove it along the side of the uh, the lake where their office was, flipped it and died. <laughs> oh. So I hope the company kept going. It was like Incom or something. And, uh, you know, afterwards or in the chat, we'll figure it out. But um it was, uh, I love the, the games I think were average, but their covers were gorgeous for me because anything yeah. with a hole in it. And um, so then, uh, so that's high school. Then I get into college. It takes me a while to figure out what I want to do. And I do um, uh, art. Well, I'm taking art classes and then design and illustration. And I've always been able to draw. And so I go into um, uh, finally focusing on art direction and uh, graphic design. And the, the program I was in split that said, well, you can be an, either an illustrator or you can be an art director. And they'll both be the graphic design degree. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I do like illustrating and I don't really know what all the stuff is about art direction. And I looked at the other kids and I thought, there are kids just in this class that can draw so much better than me. And then they'll be drawing until they're 95 years old. <laughs> so I, I would rather be the guy that hires them than yeah. be that guy because I'll never beat them. My skills are not going to keep going up. And uh, so I got uh, into the program there. And while I'm in it, they, you're taking uh, classes like uh, typography and um, 2D design, 3D design stuff. Uh, 3D was pretty limited back then. And they, uh, uh, the typography class was a lady that happened to know my friend Jerome. She was a roommate at one point in his house when she had moved out from uh, back east. And so uh, we're doing the class. It's all on Macintoshes which are the first Macintoshes, the, the 84 model. And uh, it was so exciting to be able to, like, you type something out and you push print and it actually comes out with the same font <laughs> because that was a big deal back then. I actually learned how to do the old kind of printing with type setting and stuff like that. And uh, 
so uh, we're doing working our way through that class. I end up making a pop up book with uh, Pee Wee Herman. Are you familiar with Pee Wee's Playhouse? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was '89, and so uh, I think it started in. He must have started in '87 or something because uh, I made this whole. We had to do examples of our type exercises in a, a book, and that was the only requirement. It just had to be a book that you produced. So I made a pop up book. And it's all Pee Wee Herman, and all the type stuff is just what's being said around the, the different activities. And um, somewhere between, I think, that final project and starting of that class, my teacher had Jerome come in and talk. And he, he was going to talk about working at Apple because he'd moved on from Atari. Atari had exploded and imploded basically around the yeah. time of ET, and everybody blamed ET. It turns out it's because they had completely saturated the market with the hardware. <laughs> like, they couldn't possibly sell another piece of hardware unless new people came online. Um, but uh, they, uh, so he had moved on and been at Apple for I don't know how long at that point, maybe a year in the uh, customer publications uh, where they did the documentation and stuff. And he's in the interactive part. So he comes and talks, and I'm like, this sounds super cool. And he goes, and we're looking for an intern. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I oh, waited to go after class and talk to him. I don't know how many other kids did. It wasn't a huge class. And we hit it off. And so I became an intern there that summer at Apple. And so I'm in the middle of my design degree program, but I don't think I did classes over the summer at this school. I did at some of my junior colleges and stuff just to kind of burn credits and get, get out of there. But... Um, so I get into uh, the end of that spring summer. Summer I get into Apple. Before I actually get in there, and I've, I think I just posted this on my Instagram, but I'll, I'll send you a copy. I had my resume that they looked at to hire me as an intern. It's on dinosaur stationery. <laughs> so it's a T-Rex wearing a uh, Aloha shirt, I think. And uh, it's all bright colors and stuff, but it's like, well, that's the 80s for you. <laughs> Back when you would use that as your professional stationery. So I um, I showed them my Pee Wee Herman pop-up book was my main portfolio piece. And uh, I had some other stuff where I, I think I uh, redesigned money. And uh, oh, I did a, a pretty good um, advertising comp of somebody living on uh, or visiting the moon and they had brought the camera that was being sold in the ad. And he's, it's the reflection in his helmet and he's aiming his, his family closer together to take a picture. So it's like you're seeing his camera, the helmet, and then you see the family sort of in his, it was for a marker comp thing, it was pretty good. And it's been probably done 17 different ways since then with similar ideas, but it's like, this was like 85 when I did that. I don't think anybody had ever thought to do that before. So that's pretty fun little ideas that I could express through either drawing or whatever. And that, that they're hiring a visual designer to do these interaction kind of things. So the department did specifically the Jerome worked in. He, uh, uh, their group was doing the tour. So I don't know if you had, have you ever experienced early Macintosh kind of uh, oh, the box? You're, you're a fair bit younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you bought a Macintosh, uh, the, the first two or three, the hard disk wasn't, well, there might not be a hard disk, if there was a hard disk inside of it, there was nothing on it. So you had to install like the system software, all this horrendous stuff uh, for for somebody that has no experience with computers because computers weren't available to people other than really boxy PCs that did very specific work things. Um, I mean, they had Lotus 1, 2, 3, and that's Microsoft. Um, 
software and they could run games, but uh, not everybody had them. And so uh, they've been rolling for a couple years at Apple. They started in Silicon Valley and uh, they uh, get the people get the box, big humongous box, open it up and they get the documentation. And then on top of the documentation is a floppy disk. And the floppy disk is the first thing you kind of throw in and it tells you here's what you're going to be doing with your computer. Here's how to use a mouse. It doesn't tell you how to install the software. <laughs> like here's, here's how you're going to be installing all your operating software. It's basically showing you what the operating software is going to be. So it, we had to introduce these concepts and they did right before me too, that it was like, what is a hard disk? What is a document? What's the trash can? Just uh, how do you do day-to-day -day stuff? And then how to use a mouse? Because at that point, Xerox Park in um, also in Silicon Valley, they came up with the whole idea of a of a user interface that's visual based on real things and a mouse. Both those things kind of came together at Xerox, but Xerox made copiers and stuff and had no plan to make computers. <laughs> so they had these incredible people working there that came up with all the basis of what we do every day now. They, don't make, they didn't make a dime off it as far as I know because Apple and Windows both ripped them off completely and didn't pay them anything. <laughs> they got a tour because everybody knew everybody. I think they went as part of, well, it couldn't even been the interface group because there wouldn't have been an interface group back then. It was just, I think, engineers that knew each other. Right. So they all went through and then madly took notes. And then they said, <laughs> we need something called a mouse. <laughs> Build something. It has a big rubber ball in the middle of it and a one big button. And it's like stepping on the, the uh, sewing machine pedal. It's like that level of like mechanics, like click, click. And uh, the, mic, the mics were, were square. And uh, oh, just like a little brick. So um, at this level, then people have to learn how to use the mouse. So um, they had done it with little uh, isometric drawings, mostly isometric, but I guess it flattens out. And then just little stick people walking around the streets of a little town. And then the, the exercises built into the town. So we had to learn point, click, and drag were always the things. I worked there for five years. So that's still pretty much all we ever taught for the for the intro. Here's how to point, click, and drag with a mouse. And then we'll, we'll practice those on things that are happening in real life on a computer too. But um, you're walking through this town and uh, the uh, letters fall off of a marquee of a movie theater. And then it says, we're gonna learn drag. And so it puts drag on the, on the movie theater and it's like, oh, that's a drag theater. <laughs> the funniest, they'd work in little jokes and stuff too. So it was like, they never got called out on it, I don't think. Yeah. But they, uh, the letters fall down on the ground, and then you you click on them and drag them back up to the marquee, and then when they stick when you drag them up. And so you've actually learned some pretty decent little skills, but it was kind of fun. And so they were looking for people that were kind of fun, I think, that, that could draw or animate or whatever, but that had sort of a, a fun approach. And um, so when I got in there, uh, worked on a couple of projects that were um, – the new thing, so the first CD-ROM that ever went out to to customers, I got hired to work on that. Uh, that was actually right after my internship, I contracted and did that. And it worked on every piece of Apple hardware. So it worked on an Apple II, Macintosh, uh, probably a 2E, a 2GS. This is really old timey. Yeah, like what, what year was this, Eric? Nine, was it early 90s? 87, because I got hired at the right, right. later in that same year. Might have been. I was trying to do the math and I'm like, well, I was there five years and I left in 93. <laughs> it's like part of 87. But at my internship, I don't know if it ever counted towards my five years because I, 
I don't think I had a I had a different Apple ID badge, and I don't know if I had the same number and all that stuff. But um, so this this is only their third Macintosh coming out when I got hired as an intern. They had the SE was a, a really sleek, and it's when they finally stopped making their computers beige. All the PCs up until then were beige for the most part. Um, all the Macintoshes were like this tan beige color, and they aged horribly. It turns yeah. out sun really affected their coloring and stuff. But yeah. uh, with the SE, they went uh, cool gray, and they went with much flatter uh, facade and uh, still gorgeous. Their industrial design was always super mm. tough not there. And if I'd known what industrial design was in, in high school, <laughs> I would have been an industrial designer, but I had no idea that that was a profession. And uh, so uh, I'm working on the um, some little tools and stuff. Uh, HyperCard was a very early interactive program, and it was basically one of the precursors of the internet and the web. But yeah. the guy thought it up. He worked at Apple. He was an early engineer. He did Mac Paint and some of the core programs. Super geni genius guy. He um, came up with this thing that was that would use hypertext and let you build a little thing they called a stack, and they were card stacks as the metaphor. And uh, the only problem is he envisioned that you would keep all of your content on your computer, and there was no networks that really existed that were beefy. There was the very beginnings of like uh, colleges communicating with each other and stuff, but that wasn't something that they had figured out that would be a consumer thing for quite a while. So his whole idea wasn't that there were servers out in the world, I don't even know if servers existed yet. And um, that was the fatal flaw, is that you would have these huge hypercard stacks, but they would take up room on your computer, and if somebody else wanted to use it, they had to, like, kind of, you had to give it to them on a floppy disk right. or burn it on a CD. And, um, but we did invent the words, the terms browsing, surfing, and home were all from that. So homepage, right. they all came from out of, uh, out of hypercard. That's great. And, uh, so uh, I'm working on on the first version of HyperCard, uh, making our own little stacks to demo to companies and things. At this point, Apple didn't know if they were going to be bigger in the home market or the business market, so they they straddled the fence. And so um, the tours and things I worked on had to kind of appeal to both business users in a business setting or people sitting at home. And it was like it was a little weird. To, um, to try to split that, but I, I managed and I still put fun stuff in, but it was like, it had to be mitigated. That's like, this might be somebody that bought all these for their entire department at a company and they don't want it to be too, they don't want an armadillo rolling on screen. <laughs> just, just <laughs> yeah. And do something. <laughs> so, um, so I've gone through the internship there. I got invited to be a contractor and work with them just separate. And then, um, after the contract is starting to wind down, the manager says, I know you're still doing your classes. And so while I'm contracting, I'm going to full-time college and I'm working in my garage. I end up getting pneumonia and oh. uh, bronchitis because it's like, it's still, the the Palo Alto isn't that cold, but it's like, it's breezy and, and uh, it's a little uh, wetter in the winters. And so uh, I had a whole Apple II I think an Apple IIe set up in there to do that CD-ROM project. So uh, there, the interface on that wasn't um, really a, a visual user interface. It was ASCII. It was just keyboard keys is what you see on screen. But you could fake up to look like folders and things because you use brackets and, mm. and 
dashed lines and stuff. So at least you sort of had an interface you were interacting with. So I had to fake that in art. And so I just sat there in my cold garage <laughs> and faked up all these screens so that the CD-ROM, it looked like you were like, this is what you could access off a CD-ROM in the future. And um, on the Mac, it was much more exciting. And we had to invent uh, color tools because up until then, all the computers were black and white. PCs had some limited color, like eight colors. <laughs> so like very <laughs> and then uh, in college, I actually had a, I think it was probably a 256 color computer. It might have been more because I think it was high end, but I took a color computer program and uh, as part of a course. And anyway, they, um, for the vast majority of people, it was all just black and white. And so we uh, we had a Mac 2, which was the first big desktop Macintosh. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the ones that are on the CD-ROM. And so they um, uh, needed to have a, a way to show things in color so that you could see what things are going to be like. So Because we were always a little ahead of the hardware. We're trying to make software that's going to be selling that hardware. Yeah. and uh, Or at least make it look accurate. And so we're, we had to do a lot of things like that where you just had to make stuff up to make it work. So anyway, the um, contract comes up and the, the manager goes, you're, you're doing great in your, your college stuff. I hear that, you know, you're doing good. I don't know where I was at this point. I think I was, if I had really focused, I would probably be, I, I would have been in my senior year and I would have been done. The program yeah. I was in said, most kids take six years. And typically, I think it's true world over that most college things are four years. Um this was a Bachelor of Science, not a Bachelor of Arts degree oh, or things yeah. like that. So Bachelor of Science degree, they said, you're gonna, it's going to take about six years and you have to pass a portfolio review halfway through. Like the teachers will look at your portfolio and say, you're, you can go ahead and keep going. And I lost some friends at school. You know, I stayed friends with them, but they, they got cut out of the program. And, and some oh, of us right. got some of us didn't. That was, that, was, that was the first thing in life where it's like, oh, I don't think life's fair. <laughs> teachers played favorites and things. But um, I'm rolling through. This is at San Jose State University in the heart of Silicon Valley. But uh, it's in a part, at this point in the 80s in Silicon Valley, um, San Jose and in the, in the downtown San Jose had been dead for uh, 15, 20 years. Like it, it was kind of like in the, um, I've been to little bits of the UK and stuff. But uh, I would think it's like Sheffield and some of the places that were all focused on one industry and then the industry's kind of shifts. Yeah. They were they had all their retail stuff downtown. San Jose was it's like the fourth big city in California and it's a big city in general. But it's a um, the downtown had all their shops, all the stores, everything that you'd expect in a normal downtown. But then they were, I think, one of the early places that got a mall on the edge of town, a shopping mall. And all the retailers said, nobody's going to go all the way out to Stevens Creek to go buy pants. The, we're fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Two years later, there's tumbleweeds blowing down. <laughs> there's absolutely no business left open. They've all either given up, been run out of business, or they went and they got a store at yeah. the mall. So my school is right there in the middle of that. And um, so anyway, I'm still going there and, and – enjoying it and all my friends are from there uh i got new friends at apple but all the kids my age are at uh, school and um so the, the manager says uh i'm willing to just hire you to work here as a as wow. i think we were calling interface designers so you'd be an interface designer you're on the engineering ladder 
uh, you could really work your way up, which was insane to know. And, and all this stuff, I didn't really know what business, how business operated. Apple was a you know, unique business, but just how things in general, like, no, that's what you want. You want to be on the, uh, the engineering ladder of, of promotions. You want to stick around because if once you get past your, uh, you get to the top of your game, they'll hire you as a manager and you could be the worst manager in the world and you can stick in that position or you can go and say, I don't like being a manager. I'm going to go back to doing work mm. and they'll keep your pay at the manager level. And it's like wow. all these things were things I should have been thinking about. And they had stock because it was a, a public company. Wow. Their stock was worthless at the time. <laughs> yeah, so wow. I'd say, yes, sure. I'd love to be a, uh, an employee. So they hire me and they say, I think you should keep getting a degree. I think it's valuable. If you get a degree, Apple will definitely give you a bump in your pay. Nice. And um, I think it's worth doing. So I say, yeah, that's good. And then um, get hired, start working there, start taking like one class in the morning and one class at night because they, they have a pretty flexible schedule. Everybody just drove into campus. And uh, it ended up, I would drop every other class just because it's like, I think I, I at that point I was probably sticking with them. And it was all the fun classes were starting to finish up. So it was all the ones I'd put off. Those are the ones I had to take. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm taking those and um, everything's going great. I got a real office. I think I was sort of using, I was like parked in the lab that was an office with a door where they kept all their video equipment and stuff. That was, I think my office as an intern. So now I've got a real office that I'm decorating up. It's the smallest little cubicle you've ever seen. And did you ever see the movie Tron, the first Tron? I, um, yeah, I like it. Yeah. When, the, when they're in the real world and two of the programmers are working late and you see you see this view of the cubicles stretching off into the distance, <laughs> it was a bad painting. That was very similar for all the offices back then. And so um, I got my office. It's sharing a space with a giant column that's holding up the building and it's in my office. So it's like I can kind of get in my office and sit down. But then I decided to decorate. So I have a peewee's big adventure poster on one side yeah. and something else on the other. And then I start adding all these toys to my office because I think around that time, probably after Empire Strikes, oh no, after um, Return of the Jedi, all the Star Wars figures had just been kind of hanging out on shelves. And I'd worked at a toy store and managed one uh, when I was in college. And so I start buying up some of those when they're cheap. And I nice. wish I'd kept them in the package because wow, <laughs> they're worth a bit more now. <laughs> a little bit more. But I'd buy them, pop them out, enjoy them. All the Star, the new Star Trek, the next generation, it just came out. They came out with these really crappy figures from the lube. I have all those lined up on my office wall. I have uh, uh, T-Rex, who's out in the living room now. A big model uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex is right at the entrance when people walk in next to a lava lamp. And um, so my office immediately starts getting crazy. And uh, there's pterodactyls hanging from the, the ceilings. And um, I'm having a great time settling in. And just chugging along on college, but um, I do eventually finish it. And uh, it's great. And so the first project they get once I'm in there is to do the tour, but do it over again. So yeah. they've had this this one interactive tour. And uh, I decided, so I'm the visual designer on it and the interface designer and uh, interaction designer, which we hadn't quite put our finger on that name yet. Uh, as far as a task, I think, and then uh, animator because we didn't. We had technically we had animators in the group, but they were the people that had to fake the Macintosh interface because they had to fake it in animation. They weren't. We weren't really using the interface because we were on a floppy disk. Right. 
We're on one side of one floppy disk. <laughs> we would fit in a 400K footprint, I think. One bit, it was uh, black and white. And uh, so I ended up doing um, meetings with the instructional designer. Our whole department was made of writers for the most part. It was, that was the core group of writers. And they would write technical uh, manuals and things like that. So they did all the paper stuff. But then we'd have one that was, I think they would switch back and forth. They'd do both print and interaction. They would write all the content of what they wanted to teach people. And then that was just all written out. And then I said, well, what if we had like a point of view of like somebody presenting it to you? which hadn't been done at this point. Right. Uh, all the, I hadn't seen other people's training because I don't think there was a ton of other training that was interactive. Mm. And I'd seen our previous one and it was sort of your God, you know, like you're reaching into this little town and lifting up letters off the, the ground. There was not a lot of <laughs> thought, I think, of how you were interacting with it or who you were and who's the voice coming in. And so uh, I was a big comic book fan growing up. Still, yeah. still read them, but I don't really get new ones because, good lord, talk about a price difference. They were twenty-five cents when I was a kid <laughs> to buy a comic book, <laughs> which is not much. Uh, you can't buy. You can make a phone call that's a little longer than regular on a payphone with a quarter to give you some context. Then it's, uh, it's, um, they were nothing. Now they're, you know, four and five bucks a piece. Somebody was just saying they were looking at one that was nine bucks. He goes, "I'm not paying nine bucks for a comic book. <laughs> they're all well. It's a, they're only four in the series. Is all." Well, I guess, but it's like, yeah, you have to be into a $60 commitment at this point to hear, to, to get the full yeah. story. Yeah. So anyway, back back to the, the interacting thing. So I thought, well, telling a story, we could actually have it be little voice bubbles. And uh, I think those could be somebody that's introducing it to you and you actually see him on screen. And so he's sitting in the corner and I thought, well, this will help because then when we show how to use the mouse, we always had to show a hand actually holding the mouse because there's a good chance people would have the mouse backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you look at it and it had a, had a leash and a wire, it would, you know, if that's the mouse's tail, then that must be coming this way away from the computer. It's like, no, it's... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it. yeah, true. <laughs> and so we would show it in context with the button and everything and show it next to the computer and... Uh, I thought, well, if we already have to do that and we were doing it as sort of an insert or a cutaway, I thought, let's just do it as part of, you know, as, as a seamless part of the training. And so um, the other thing that it was in my background was um, there was this old cartoon called Tennessee Tuxedo. And I don't know if it got out of the U.S., but it was um, part of, uh, I think, four different cartoons were bundled and then it was on every morning when I was a kid. I think it was originally right. a Saturday morning thing. But one of them was Tennessee Tuxedo. He was a penguin that lived in the zoo, and he wore a hat, and he had a tie, because that was the time. And uh, he had a buddy who's a walrus. And they were always trying to get out of the zoo and do adventures and things, but they're curious, and they don't really know about the world. And so there's some guy that works at the zoo or that they know nearby the zoo that's uh, like a professor. And he would and tell them about, well, this is how uh, a swinging pendulum works, or this is how... I can't even remember the stuff he used to, to demonstrate to them. But he would do it with a chalkboard that lived in his pocket. He'd pull out the chalkboard and he'd stretch it and it would become a full-size chalkboard. And then he'd draw on the chalkboard like here's a pendulum and then it would actually demonstrate. It would swing. You know, it would do whatever it was. Huh. So it had this magic element. And um, then they'd get into hijinks with whatever they learned. And these were like, I think, maybe six-minute cartoons. But uh, that stuck with me. And then... Um, I thought, well, if you combine the two, what I would do is have the guy that's teaching you this 
tour that's welcoming you because he's also welcoming you to Macintosh and the computers. He's um, leading you through and he's showing things behind him. And then when he wants to show you how a menu works, like here's what the Apple menu or the file or the edit do, he would just get up. It would be demonstrated, you know, it'd be behind him. He'd get up and just grab the menu and pull it. Because at this point, you don't know how to point and click or drag. So he would show you what's in the menu. And then he'd say, now you try it. Go up and click on the on the word oh, file. So as far as I know, that this training is, is every time you get a job and doing stuff. I worked at, at Whole Foods briefly here on the island. And uh, um, I did a food safety training. And they have you sit down and put on headphones with their little PC. And somebody has turned the sound up all the way so you lose your hearing. <laughs> when, the, when the demo starts, you rip them off. Once you've got it all working, this little girl comes on screen and goes, I'm the health inspector and I'm going to teach you about food safety. And I thought, I'm this chick's grandpa. I think I invented the genre of training and now I'm taking it. <laughs> work here in Hawaii. And the, and the unfortunate thing about America is if you want insurance for medical and stuff, you have to have a job with a corporation or else you have to pay separately for it quite a bit. So I've, I've been self-employed long enough that I've had it off and on. But here I thought, well, I wouldn't mind having a discount at Whole Foods. They have good stuff. They've been bought by Amazon. So like, well, technically I could say I worked at Amazon for that year. <laughs> and uh, uh, But part of it is doing this training. And I'm like, I can see the humor in that I'm taking this training. <laughs> I invented this genre, but it's like nobody's asked me for genre creating uh, uh, digital products lately. So, um, so I, uh, I I do this tour and name the guy Jay. We end up naming him in a meeting because it was letters from everybody in the team. So Jay Passe became the slow character's name, and it was, I think, well, I can't even remember everybody's name off bat, but it was. Uh, um, the last E on it's my name for Eric. So it was everybody's first name. And so Jay would lead you through. And I had him, I can peg what year this was. It was 89 that I came up with this concept because Batman 89, the first big Batman movie was out. The first characters I drew were a newsman that was from the Dark Knight comic. Because part of the story when Dark Knight came back was that it was little news snippets would come up in the comic. And at this point, it's already graphic novels. But he's... Uh, there's either a male or a female character that could not look more 80s. They're very like triangle uh, outfits on the ladies and stuff and big shoulder pads on the guys. And they're talking about what's happening in Gotham. And that's part of what is uh, the story elements. And so that's what's bringing Batman out of retirement, basically, is that things have really gone to hell in Gotham. So anyway, the first sketch I have, and I still have it in my, my project journal, which thank goodness I kept, uh, uh, kept track of this, this big project was um, a drawing of a newscaster sitting in the corner that looks an awful lot like me because it turns out illustrators will draw when you when you don't have a specific person they always end up drawing themselves <laughs> and so it's a younger me wearing a suit which I never would wear it was shorts and t-shirts kind of a company but I'm wearing a tie wearing a gray um, sport coat or jacket and I'm sitting in the corner and I'm holding like papers in front of myself. I think I did first one was an older looking newscaster. Then it eventually became me. But then right next to that, I drew Batman uh, sitting there reading papers in the corner. Oh, <laughs> so that Batman nice. would be doing the training with you. But this was, I did this over a weekend at a, at a um, place. It's like a retreat. It's a, a hot springs place in California, which is very Californian. Yeah, right yeah. on the coast. It ended up in the uh, finale of Mad Men. Eslin is the name of it. 
uh, they had to fake it because Esalen's like, you can't film a TV show here. And so uh, they, they went down the coast like a mile and filmed it. And uh, just gorgeous. Like the least connection to doing digital, interactive, computer. It, but they were very progressive at this place. And they actually had computers in their um, on-site school. So that was our connection um, to Jerome. So we would go hang out there. So I'm in this super gorgeous place on the coast of California, Big Sur, uh, the redwood trees on one side and the, the ocean crashing against the ra- rocky coast on the other and the hot tubs and stuff. And uh, I came up with this idea of this little person who would live in the corner of the screen. And so that eventually worked its way into this little guy named Jay, who it simplified his face and everything. And... Um, learned how to draw hands, which is a bitch, <laughs> and, and learned how to animate. Because the other thing is that this is no longer sort of just little background animation stuff with little isometric people, because the animators we had could handle those. They could they could come up with a little uh, walk routine and stuff. But this was like, no, it's a person that's a quarter of the screen, and he's animating and getting up and turning around, grabbing the file menu and stuff. So I taught myself uh, animation by looking at the Disney animator books. All the nine core animator guys from Disney had written books, especially the, uh, a pair of them. And so they would say, like, if you had a sack of flour, you have to, that's one of our tests for our animators, is like, make this sack of flour get up and walk, but make it look like it's still a 10-pound sack of flour. <laughs> like, you can't change. Uh, and so all those little, those uh, going through a book and seeing how they did it and then practicing myself, that was basically how I learned how to animate this guy. And um, I took... Uh, Polaroids of uh, one of my coworkers. Um, this is after I've zeroed in on the fact that uh, we we had a lot of great. At this time, we would expose our stuff to uh, new people that didn't know how to use a computer, either new people that were hired at Apple who they might just be answering the phone or something. They didn't have any computer skills. We would plop them down and, and uh, test stuff on them, and just say, "Can we have a half hour of your time?" And then uh, as it progressed, we got a real testing studio. And this is when they found out people could be very upset that they didn't know that there was no software on the computer. <laughs> that their first task would be balancing the magnetic uh, balance of the monitor. It was something super stupid that didn't really provide any usefulness. But they were tied up doing that kind of stuff for a half hour in the book. Anyway, they uh, tested. I put my my I gained, I think just maybe static things of the screen in front of people, and they said, "Why is he wearing a suit?" Because everybody at Apple wears super casual stuff and I don't associate suits with Apple. Mm. And it's like, I wasn't even thinking to that level at that point. I went, okay. So I'm looking around trying to think what we're going to do. And my, the um, CEO of the company at this point, the whole time I'm there, Steve Jobs is not there. Was, so yeah, I was going to ask, yeah. He got fired from his own company yeah. right before I got there. And uh, he's off doing, um, what was that big box? Next. He's doing Next and he's buying Pixar from George Lucas. <laughs> so he's, yeah. like, he's, he's not doing too horribly. He uh, He's out of the picture. So the guy that fired him was from Pepsi originally, um, John yeah. Scully. He'd written a book. And so he'd written one about being at working at all these companies and, and being romanced into Apple. And it's like, did you write stuff about firing the guy that brought you in? <laughs> I never asked him. <laughs> he was a good guy. But uh, he... The back of the book is him wearing this classic Apple sweater that had the word Apple spread out in different letters. So it's like an orange A and a purple P, and it's got the whole rainbow going. 
and we still were using color logos back then. Uh, Apple's gotten very monochromatic since, but it was always a six color logo when I was there. And um, he's on a black background with a black sweatshirt. It's lit fantastically. And it's like, he's got his hands in his pockets. He's doing aw shucks. And um, this man had the biggest head you've ever seen. It looked like Buddy Gibson. It was like, it was like a, a orange on a toothpick. But I look at it for his sweatshirt and realize I'm going to do that. I slap it on the scanner, which is one of the first scanners we ever had. Yeah. And I ended up working on some software for that. And then we uh, I scan it in, pop his giant head off and put my character's head on. And I'm like, that's it. And that was what he wore for the whole rest. For five years, he had an Apple sweatshirt on. And it was black and white at first, and then eventually, when the color tours came out, he had, a, he had the color sweatshirt just like we'd sell in our in our employee store. We didn't have stores yet; there yeah, were no yeah. consumer Apple stores. And um, so uh, that was it's funny. That was the first eye-opening thing. Like, oh, if you put this in front of other people that aren't you, you get other opinions, <laughs> 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 which rarely happened at any other company I worked at. Even Sega, they would do marketing. Um, things with customers they'd grab a bunch of tweens that was what i remember was when the word tween was invented they said yeah these kids are like 11 12 13 and they're going to tell us what they think and what they want and it was it was semi-unfocused where it's like no you have to put something in front of them and let them react is usually a better way to get something out of them it's useful <laughs> but um uh, so we've got uh, feedback coming in i'm doing the tours and i'm running stuff past people to see if they understand it and, and then the the lady writing the content was doing a you know, that was perfect. And so um, it's, we already had that down to a science of like, well, this is how you introduce the concept of working on a computer. All that stuff had been worked out. And um, so Jay's delivering all this stuff. We come up with a way to draw the little word balloons. It's consistent. And um, in the meantime, we're working on other stuff like the, the help systems working its way along for the Apple, for the Macintosh line. And um, one of the guys in my group that moved with me over to Sega eventually, he uh, he thought, well, we could use this way of doing the voice balloon as also a way to point to things in the interface. And so it's still in there to this day. If you go up to help and ask about something in one of the menus, it'll point to the thing and then say, the window menu has this in it. And it, it's a little voice balloon with a little cartoon. Oh, cool. And so to this day, all that stuff's still in the Macintosh interface. And um, he came up with a way of doing the corners and everything. It's, it's just the you know the way programmers handle stuff, so that it's all separate little pieces of bitmap art. And uh, so Dick Holmes, he did a lot of uh, uh, really nice graphic design work. And um, so I'm doing all that stuff. Jerome is in my group as a uh, sort of a researcher, and he's coming up with uh, ways to archive stuff and ways to name things that hadn't been named before. Um, sort of an at-large person. I think he, he was assigned to some things, but he was basically helping out. And he was, he'd been my intern uh, mentor. Learned a ton from him. He's 10 years older than me at this point. And he's passed away since, so I'm catching up to him. He uh, uh, has me as an intern, and then I finish and I'm working. And then he's like, we should get another intern. And I go, well, you can go back to San Jose State. Our, our friend Pat Coleman is still teaching type. And uh, I'm still in class. Uh, not in her class, but in, in the same department. And so uh, we go back and uh, are going to be looking for kids. And I you know they're all 20, 20, about 20, 19, 20, 21. And um, 
go back to my department and I see my my friends are in there and people that I've, you know, not been my roommate, but been best friends with my roommates and stuff. So I'd see them all the time. Yeah. And, and we'd all hang out. I think uh, one of the guys that was there, we were in a band together. I couldn't, I can't play musical instruments, but we, oh, danced. we had friends that worked. I worked at Tower Records before all this and in, in wow. worked at Tower Records. And I just love that place. And uh, all the people there were just like me, you know, or, or more degenerate. They were, were, were rock and roll people <laughs> that couldn't yeah. work anywhere else. And they, they loved music, so they worked at Tower. I was just in there as a, as a college kid. And, um, but some of the other college kids uh, were uh, just really cool. And they knew people that were in bands and they were playing locally. And uh, sorry, this is, a, this is a definite aside. But <laughs> we ended up uh, picking one of their songs, working out like a routine the way that the uh, bands in the 50s would do uh, a choreographed routine while they're singing. But we would be separate than the band singing. We would come out and just do a little skit, kind of choreographed to their song. So we did uh, one about cannibals that uh, <laughs> were whipping up stew or something, or they were whipping up a burger. And so we uh, were dancing along in the background of this and did it at a couple clubs and stuff. So those are the kind of friends you tend to <laughs> stick with for a while. That if you you both put on a costume with uh, kind of little clothing underneath and run out and dance in front of people. And we ended up opening for uh, Fishbone, who's a fantastic ska band. And then they opened for Red Hot Chili Peppers. So technically, I opened for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> anyway, so my friend's there. Tony's there with his, uh, his friend. And they're talking to us, you know, uh, after the presentation that we did about the uh, uh, department we're in. Um, he says, yeah, this is my friend, uh, Mike Lan. And uh, I said, hi. And then uh, I'm st still talking to Tony. And he goes, oh, and she goes, I was really interested in the internship. I'll go, you can go talk to Jerome. He's in the back. And so <laughs> I keep talking to Tony. I blow her off. This is my, my future wife. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> We worked at so many similar places that were very close together and never met. We were in the same class of about six people learning airbrush, went out to dinner with the class, and never met her. Wow. Uh, we worked next door at Tower Records. She worked one door away at an ice cream place. I'm sure she made me food. Never met her. Then I worked at the toy store across the street. She worked at the sporting goods store one door away. I never met her. So we've, we've now met, and I've blown her off in, the, in about a one-minute uh, time frame. So I hear later that she's all, I was so pissed at you. <laughs> you <laughs> talked to me about the internship. I'm all, you got the internship. <laughs> anyway, she so got back to talk to Jerome. And um, she ended up taking my position, doing the same kind of you know, learning how to, to work in a group and everything. So we're so now we're all kind of just rolling along through time in this five-year period. Apple's got a ton of money. Their stock is worthless. So I come in, they give, they give you stock options. They say, well, you can buy these options at any point while you work here, and then you'll get them at the price when you came in. Well, it, it only went down from there. So my stock was never worth anything. Wow. And what they did have going was um, uh, a stock purchase plan. And you could join in, and it was sort of speculative, but every, it was you'd always make money off of it. So it was you, you could put in X amount of money, and then – they would give you during a six-month period. They'd give you the lowest price during that six-month period. As a kid, you know, I'm 21 at this point or 22. I'm like, sounds like fun. <laughs> I didn't think about it. And then my my buddy who was 10 years older goes, "It's really good. Just sell it at the end. You know, when you when you get out of that six-month period and you 
they bought it for you at that cheap price, go ahead and sell it because it's on its way up. And uh, so we did that and uh, would make, I don't know what, a hundred bucks or something. It was, it was not significant. It turns out at one point I bought 34 shares in 1992 and it was like 600 bucks and I bought it. And then apparently I forgot I bought it. So wow. it sat in their holding company. That's not a real holding company. It's sort of like just a transfer company. It's supposed to be transferred out to a place that holds stocks. I did get the real certificate. This is back when they printed real gorgeous certificates for stocks, which they, they haven't done in, I don't know how long. It, it's been in the last 20 years they stopped. But they would, you know, somebody would engrave this thing to print these these stocks, and they'd be full color. They were just gorgeous. Mm. And uh, apparently, I got that. But they, it, you're used to looking. If you were trying to find them in your files, you're trying to find something that's an odd size. It's almost like your A4 size. It's probably a little little wider. And but it turned out when they mailed it to me, they folded it four times and stuck it in an envelope and just had my address. So uh, this later on, I really wanted that stock certificate. Oh, I'm not surprised, <laughs> so, Derek. <laughs> I told my friend Jerome, I'm like, I am trying to find this stock certificate because I have to su I have to surrender it in order for the stock to be transferred. And he goes, when I found mine, it was folded. It was in an envelope this big. And then that was the key. And then I'm like, I found it. It it was crazy. And I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead and say, I no longer have any money. <laughs> but at the point when I found it, it was worth $60,000. Whoa. It, this is from a $600 purchase. And I'm like, if I had found this at any point between now and then, I would have been all a thousand bucks and I would have sold it. <laughs> but I'd lost track of it. The state of California tracked me down and said, we have this department that finds people with lost assets or whatever. And we've got this stock thing for you. And I'm like, I don't remember buying any stock from them. And when I left, my, my options were lost. I didn't buy any of my options. So I thought, okay, so whatever. So all of a sudden I get this check in the mail and it's this very basic looking check with a black and just, it's all black and white with a black Apple logo that looks like a kid cut it out of paper. Like it's like, it's not super finesse logo. And I'm like, if I cash this check, am I going to be signed up for like auto insurance? <laughs> I couldn't tell because there are scams where you deposit checks. And I thought this looks like a scam check, but I guess it's legit. And so I cash it. And then another check shows up. And so now I've, I'm talking to a friend. I go, I've gotten two of these checks. It says it's a, um, oh God, what's the term for it? It's dividends. All right. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. It's a dividend check. Dividend, I've yeah. got two of them. And this one was like for $400. And the other one was like $600. She goes, you have $1,000 in dividends you've gotten this year? You have a ton of stock. <laughs> So I check it. It has split. Like I don't follow stock, but Apple stock has been phenomenal and like unique in the fact that it's gone up. It would split two for one. So now you've got twice as many stocks as you had before. They just lower the price, but it's still worth the same. It's just you have twice as many stocks. It had done that over and over. While I owned it and knew I owned it, it split seven for one. Like instead of just two for one or three for one, which it also did a few times, wow. it split seven for one. So. I've got like this ridiculous amount of stock. So I find out I have it. It's worth about 60,000 of all. Because I, I think I made 65,000 a year working there. So I'm like, I just made like a year's pay. That's great. How should I do it so I don't have to pay taxes on it? So I'm, I'm trying to figure out things uh, like how to live off it. 
And then uh, no thought of like, I should squirrel this away so I don't have to work until I die. And it's like, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I put it into a real stock thing that I have access to. I, I find the certificate and you have to surrender it, which is a pain. It's because it's I, I own the stock. Why do I have to surrender it? It's because they changed the way they did physical stock mm. thing. Like the company that represents you has to have it. So I, I kissed that one goodbye. And um, then in the, in the, I think, year it took me to burn through it, it worked its way up to $150,000. <laughs> it was like, this is phenomenal. And I should have used it to buy a business. But at the beginning, I didn't know I had $150,000. And it's like, uh, so anyway, my, uh, my robots and uh, uh, ghost and dinosaur toy company in Honolulu, uh, that it lives in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Never got to be real. But um, it wasn't bad to live off of that for a while. And I bought, stupidly bought, well, I bought the computer I'm talking to you on. I bought a 3D printer that I really enjoyed. And uh, oh, we went to Disneyland, took my boys. Nice. And nice. Uh, nice stayed in a nice hotel. And then um, strung it out, ended up buying a car for cash, which was really stupid because for your credit rating, know if this works outside the u.s as much i think it's global that uh you have to have loans for things or else you don't have a credit rating yeah. well i paid off all my credit cards bought a car for cash had a house at this point from moving to hawaii and then um had sold the house a couple years in because it doubled in value so i thought well i can't not sell it and it's like yeah but then when you sell it you can't buy another house <laughs> they've, uh. all gone up. they've <laughs> gone up incredibly in price so i uh it turns out, as far as uh, credit rating goes, I look like a college kid again. Like, you don't own anything, and you don't owe anything, which means we're not going to loan you anything. <laughs> nobody will loan <laughs> you money, and nobody will <laughs> give you a break. <laughs> so I, I did stupid stuff with that money, but I enjoyed spending it. Yeah, you I know. spent it on living in an expensive place. But uh, anyway, I've, I've, I've gone off on a tangent there. But the, um, the whole stuff at Apple never happened anywhere else. Sega wasn't a, a publicly owned company. There was no stuff. And yet, I stupidly moved from Apple to Sega because it's like, wow, video games, fun. My friends are there. And uh, so Apple was great. They had a ton of money to spend on the company, though. And their marketing stuff was crazy. And we, we were on the same floor, the same building. Back then, Apple wasn't one building. It wasn't one uh, campus. Mm -hmm. It was spread out. It was whatever buildings were empty. And it was in Cupertino, and same same area as their first uh, big campus. But... Um, it was just little little buildings here and there. And um, we're in this big one called Four Phase. And I have no idea what Four Phase used to do. It probably made computer chips or something. But all the buildings were nicknamed basically off of who built the building. So we would say, instead of saying we're in City Center 4, it's like, no, you're, well, I think that was built for us. So or, or, we didn't own it. But um, that was on the side of an old uh, flour mill. And we would get mice that would come in looking for the flower. <laughs> they used to be processed there. They would come into our building. Anyway, the uh, uh, four phase, there was uh, Mariani. We're all named after the street it was on. So Mariani 1, Mariani 2. And we're in this big building uh, for four phase had the marketing department. They had money coming out of their ears. And so they would come in and have a big meeting every like Monday or Tuesday morning and have just piles of food out the hallway because they didn't want it in the meeting kind of. They wanted it nearby so they would all go out and scarf food and then just sit and talk for an hour we would eat so much food when we came into work like well let's roll into work at 10 
And then it's like, oh, bagels. <laughs> you would just load up on bagels and coffee. There was and parties that they would put on for the company were just insane. So I was there at a really nice high point. It wasn't the small starter group with with Steve Jobs where it was a bunch of guys just focused on let's let's build this new piece of hardware that's never existed. It was post all their success with the Macintosh, and um, they're starting to get into desktop machines and color. Yeah. And they have these things called modems, and you can you can send an email, which we didn't even call them emails. They're called Apple Links, and you'd have your Apple Link address on your card. And it's like I would say, "Oh, I love the smell of fresh Apple Links because it sounds like food." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, we were uh, at the beginning of all this stuff, and everything's built. Silicon Valley. I don't. It wasn't named Silicon Valley when I grew up. It was Santa Clara Valley. It became Silicon Valley in the late 70s when they were making the actual di um, chips and stuff like that were built there. So it was actually, they were working with silicon. And so um, Silicon Valley's forming around us, basically. You know, other things are coming up. Right before Apple was HP and well, Intel and stuff like that. And there's always this carryover to all the other companies. Well, Atari was in there and then Apple. And then um, we've had success. You know, I've won some prizes and stuff for the tour with uh, instructional groups and things, and it's been a gas. We've, we've traveled a ton to do um, animation conferences. Because mm. my boss, you know, the Jerome, he he was really plugged into magazines like Cinefix. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Nice. Or just a little magazine about special effects. And he loved Disney animation, and um, he was a designer and stuff. Though he, he was plugged in, and he had met the gal that I met him through at one of these conferences, and it's called SIGGRAPH. It's all about computer graphics. Mm. So we we would go every year. Every August, they would book one somewhere. And I swear to God, they booked it like, what's the most humid place we could go? <laughs> <laughs> um, what would be really atrocious? Uh, Atlanta, Boston, <laughs> Florida. It was all the places that were incredibly muggy. And I grew up in California. And I've only become more so since I've lived in Hawaii, but a total hothouse flower where I needed to be within a certain range of humidity and a certain range of temperature and everything beyond that range is uncomfortable yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. life-threatening. It's like, it's 65 degrees out. I, I'm going to die if I don't put some pants on with <laughs> trousers. I'm wearing shorts, you know, 99% of my life. And so uh, Dallas, that was also very muggy and gross. But uh, gorgeous conference, all the the cutting edge CGI stuff, which at that point was aimed at commercials and things. They had uh, they had figured out how to put it in a in a movie. So at this point, we had Terminator Two, which we certainly saw that scene with the guy turning into liquid metal and coming out of the fiery wreck. We saw that seven hundred times <laughs> because <laughs> that was people showing off their software and their rendering and stuff, and. Uh, Apple was horrible for that stuff. Rendering things with Macintosh wasn't wasn't particularly good. There was one movie uh, made as a test, as a little uh, CGI pencil running around. And that was, as far as I know, the beginning and end of people trying to use the, the Apple platform for that kind of stuff. But uh, even games and things would be at these conferences. And games were not a big thing on the um, mm. Macintosh. And it turned out Steve Jobs wanted to make it particularly on purpose hard to develop games. He started at Atari. And so did Wozniak. Mm -hmm. uh, they were both brought in just to work on big circuit boards for uh, arcade games, and um, and to figure out how to how to make something you know work that hadn't been done before as a game element. 
And um, I think they both hated it. Well, I think Waz liked it because he liked a, a challenge. Waz was long gone by the time I was there. He, he only lasted Apple for a bit, and then he just yeah. took his funds and left. But he, he made sure the people that left behind that didn't get the, the big thing with stock, he, he helped them out. He gave them stock. He was a super good guy. Yeah. Anyway, um, Jobs looked at the whole hardware thing that they're building up now because they built their Apple One in a cart in a box. They built the Apple Twos. Um, they moved up to Apple Two GS. I think by GS, what was the thing I could probably split. And then they get up to Macintosh. Maybe Watts was there for the beginning of Macintosh. And then um, while they're developing Macintosh, I think he decided I don't want this game to play. I don't want this computer to play games because people are going to take us lightly. They're not going to buy us in the business if, if they see their kid playing some cool game on it. So uh, that actually made it hard for me to do some of the animation stuff we were doing because we had to have all the animation stuff written specifically yeah. for Macintosh. It ended up being used mostly for porn. Other than that tour, VideoWorks is known mostly for the introduction of uh, Virtual Valerie, I think it was. <laughs> because, just like the great advances in video with yeah. Betamax and VHS, Betamax had had uh, lost because the porn developers went with VHS, which was a much less good uh, technology. But it's like, yeah, wh whoever picks your, your product for porn, there, there on goes the, the rest of your company. And so um, we go to the SIGGRAPH conference in different towns. It's gorgeous. And then they had Pixar has finally showing their first thing. And I have a feeling they did the one with the little lonely unicycle first. But that was, I think, right before my time. So when I get to the first conference, they said, we've got our new thing. We're only going to be able to show you half of it because that's and it's taken that long to render it. And it's this one with a little baby wandering around the house with a little tin toy that he's gotten as a gift. I don't know if right, you've seen yeah. We get to see two and a half minutes of it. It's <laughs> what it took them a year to produce. And so there are 70,000 people in, a, in a, a, a sports arena with big screens watching this animation. And it gets up to the point where this little toy is running away from the kid because the, the toy is excited to be given to a baby at first, but it's a baby and the baby doesn't know how to treat toys. So he's beating the hell out of all of his toys. And so this little tin toy decides to run away. He runs under the couch and he gets caught in a bag or he sees that there's other toys hiding under the couch. I think it's at this point, I think he just gets caught in a bag and you think the kid's going to catch him. And that's when the animation ends and they're all see you next year at the next SIGGRAPH and we'll finish this thing. So wow. it took two years to have a five-minute short produced on, you know, silicon graphics and, you know, the highest-end computers they can get. But we loved it, and we loved all the things we're seeing, and we're seeing some of the game stuff. Uh, SIGGRAPH didn't have, like, Sega wouldn't have a booth and things like that, but people that made hardware that was going to eventually be in Sega um, systems and Nintendo and stuff, just proof of concept, uh, eventually... Motion capture probably was in its infancy then. And then the big thing that was so ahead of its time that was not ready to be shown was VR. So we'd right, see yeah. VR. <laughs> it's like, good luck if you have any motion sickness. <laughs> <laughs> Which all of us do because it's also a survival <laughs> instinct. <laughs> it's, it's like if you screw up your inner ear, your body, at a, like a lizard brain, part of your brain will say, I think you've eaten some bad mastodon. Because you're head swimming. I think you should throw up for the next four hours. <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure that you can pass your genes on to the next generation before you die at 30. <laughs> and so a lot of our brain is surviving 
saber-toothed tiger attacks and uh, cave bears. And it turns out VR trips those when it's badly done. When it's well done, it can still trip them if you don't do it carefully. And so um, they're showing off VR stuff. And then I realized, well, there's a whole separate conference. It's just VR. Or it's just um, focused at the game uh, amusement park industries. And so we're doing plenty of work. We're working 60 hours a week. Uh, but it, I didn't have kids. Most of the people I'm working with don't have kids. And uh, I wasn't married for half of the time there. And then um, so we weren't having a problem with it. So I'm working 60 hours a week. I'm also taking college courses. I'm also learning to scuba dive. <laughs> so, <laughs> back then it was like, there's no limit to how much stuff you can do. So I thought, I would like to go to this conference that happens to be at Disney World in Florida that is all aimed at the amusement park industry because there'll be a bunch of VR stuff demoed there. All yeah. of the stuff that's ready for, almost ready for market will be there. And I think it would be really cool to see it. Now, how could I get the company to send me there I'm all well, Apple would have to, we'd seen our first digital camera, which was from uh, Kodak, because Kodak was the biggest thing for 100 years of cameras, but then they were going to get their rear end handed to them when digital came out. So they made a digital camera. It actually had a floppy disk in the camera. <laughs> and they wanted some help with the interface because they had no clue how to do digital interface stuff of how you would do settings and things on a little uh, screen or, or what happens once you pull the disk out and stick it in a computer. They were help asking Apple for help. This is back when companies, the same way Xerox said, sure, come in and look at our all of our <laughs> interface design, <laughs> our intellectual property. Bring your camera. Um, so they, uh, Kodak had come in to talk and we looked at their camera and I thought, well, Apple will probably do some sort of a, I don't know if they'll do a camera, but they'll do something someday that it's in this in this kind of realm. And I thought, if VR keeps building up, then you're going to go to an amusement park and it's all going to be VR. When you go to an amusement park, you take pictures and you bring them home. Yeah. So how would you do pictures in VR? How would you how would you capture the experience? And uh, it was not a bad idea, but it was, it was sort of BS because I wanted to go to this conference. But it's like, oh, well, sometimes that's how you get good ideas. So I... Uh, I propose that, and my boss kind of sees through it, but she also sees that, like, well, Eric works his ass off. All right, okay, you can go. So call uh, call our people that book uh, travel. So she's all, I'm also going to send some other people. I'm going to send an uh, instructional designer. I'm going to, um, I think my animator came along legitimately. He booked his wife separate. I booked my wife separate because we were all going <laughs> to go stay in a condo. Yeah. And, uh gotten some trouble with the people that book travel because of those kind of things and stuff but i'm like i don't care i'm going to disney world and so yeah. um this may have been my first trip out there and so uh disneyland is much smaller than disney world and i'd grown up at disney with going to disneyland almost every year on my birthday and so nothing but good association with that so we get out there it takes forever most in the united states so we fly over and uh Get there, stay in this gorgeous condo. It's on a golf course. The conference is kicking off. It's in a big parking lot right near Disney World. I think it was an expo center. So they had an indoor expo, outdoor parking lot. They had bumper boats set up in a giant portable pool outside that you would get in, and it was a tank, and you would shoot tennis balls at the other boats that were yeah. armored and had two people in it. One was the gunner, and one was the pilot. I'm like, this is heaven. I want to live in this boat the rest of my life. <laughs> We're farting around and shooting each other. And it's all free because it's a con. They want to try and sell this game. And so uh, 
we're doing all the games. We're, we're eating food that hasn't been brought out yet. And so, um, but they also have all this VR stuff. So I was, I was on track. They had a ton of VR stuff. So we're, we're doing it and filming each other doing the VR. But it's sort of, a, it, it, it definitely gives you, the, when you watch it later, it's like, oh, this is super not fun to watch other people do VR. <laughs> so when I presented it, I'm like, maybe it'll be more like Star Trek and we're in the holodeck and I show film from that. I'm like, when you're in it, they never show them documenting it, but I said, you could conceive that you would want to be able to capture the experience, but you might be wearing goggles. It might be some something that's not actually part of it, uh, the real world that you could actually take a picture of. And so um, I said, I think I never came up with a solution. I just said, I think we could work towards that as, a, as an idea because this is coming. So it's just showing what's out in the world. So I, I made a, I don't know what, 20 minute tape, which I, I still have the master, the little high tapes that there were the master. Um, this was just shown on a VHS and um, showed it at a meeting. And that was the whole reason that Apple spent a hundred thousand bucks probably <laughs> sending, sending me and two other workers off to Disney, <laughs> but um, had a great time. They had an Aladdin, Aladdin had just come out as a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the year previous and so they had also a great anyway they um they said let's do a virtual carpet ride and they have a carpet magic carpet that's on a piece of plywood probably it's on a gimbal you put on the world's biggest vr set of things i don't know if you only saw anything from the 90s early 90s yeah. Yeah. huge it come off your head a foot and a half and then they kind of put either a counterbalance behind your head so you didn't break your neck <laughs> or they would hold like suspension wires to hold the weight so it wasn't hanging off of your face and i think this one had the, the cables going up because it also had to run the cable that was feeding the video you've got 3d kind of vision and you can kind of focus into the distance because it's away from your face enough but they also they didn't really have a ton of flat screen technology so it might have been crts yeah, yeah yeah so you're you're focusing on this image and you're flying and as as you the way you turn it is you would grab each corner of the, the blanket and you would twist and it would twist on the gimbal correctly and then the vision would catch up to that. So you're flying above Agrabah. And I thought, this is 90% there. If you put a fan to the left and it was blowing on me, you would be 100% there. But, you know, looking back on it, it was probably giant squares. <laughs> by When you look back, it's like you actually see what those things were. It's like, how did I suspend disbelief with this? But... It was a gas. So we did all these games, um, documented them as best we could, and, and Disney didn't care if we filmed it because that was actually at Disney World. They were uh, demos of it. And um, I took a video of all their kiosks. So they had all the interactive video kiosks because that was new. So touchscreens were relatively new. So I was documenting all those. And we just had a great time. Come back and uh, do, the, do the meeting. It's fine. It was accepted. <laughs> Nobody called me out. Nobody stood up in the meeting and said, you have wasted our company funds because there was more money than spent on bagels than what I spent on that trip, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was the first big boondoggle I pulled off and uh, I had a great time. And so uh, I'd gotten married, you know, through this whole thing. So as soon as my, my uh, she's my ex-wife now, but mother of my children, she, uh, Michael and I had gotten to be an intern, worked her way through being in our, in our group. And I just worked with her and chatted with her and was friendly because we were the only two people that were anywhere. We're two years apart. Everybody else is at least 10 years older. Yeah. So she goes off to a different department to work on actually the, the Mac interface. She's responsible for the first color trash can icon and stuff like that that we still kind of see to this day. It's probably been adjusted. But 
Um, she's doing icons. So then when she's out of our group, I was thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind dating that person, <laughs> which, which meant <laughs> I didn't date within my group. But as soon as she was out, I'm like, hey, I wouldn't mind dating. Also, her department had pinball machines. <laughs> so oh, nice. I would go out, hang out with her, and we would play pinball for two hours. We'd play Black Knight 2000, and uh, <laughs> games that had magnets. And, like, it couldn't have gone too much better. And uh, so uh, I'd gotten married while I was there. And then we had our first son was 95. Yeah, so I hadn't had any children there at Apple. And yeah. so my friend Jerome had um, moved on because now it's like we went through the, the heyday of all the money being spent. But then they sort of started to kind of draw down a little bit like, oh, we are spending way too much money on on people doing stuff. And we're not really sure what all these people do in these departments. So they <laughs> laid off. A fair amount of people in my group kind of one at a time over like different three months, like every quarter somebody would go. Mm. I'd never gotten let go or fired or anything, but I was um, kind of the last man standing where it's like there were no other interface designers. And um, we were still working on the tour and we worked on the help system. and I worked on HyperCard 2 and I worked on fun stuff, but it was like there was nothing really groundbreaking or anything coming through that it looked like. And so um, I didn't think to move to another department, which is what I should have done. I should have stayed there forever. It's the story. <laughs> <laughs> because they had stock. And uh, I, there's people that are still there from the start. Uh, Chris Espinosa has been there since 76, and he's still there. Wow. And he was the only person that was close to my age in the company because he was hired at 14. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so somebody just posted on Reddit that it was, it was like that he's still there. I'm like, Oh, I knew I was following him on on Twitter, but I didn't know he was still there. That's <laughs> I just incredible. thought we shared an experience, <laughs> and so uh, it's like, no, his experience is a little different. So anyway, um, I thought, well, this isn't this is starting to suck, not having his you know friends around because it was it was half social stuff, half work. Yeah. And um, Jerome had moved on to Sega, so Jerome's working in the um, what multimedia group. And before I jump off of Apple. Um, I haven't slowed down since I started talking about Apple. So, did you have any other questions about that area? So, this is eighty-seven <laughs> to ninety-three. Well, Eric, what we might do actually is because this is a we we can make this a two-parter. I think part I one should say, be Apple. I've so much about this. No, 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 it's been an ex. I've been. I love learning about Apple, and I, I tell you what we can do. This will be. This will. We can finish off. We can finish. I'll give you the last few words on Apple. Then we'll do another. We'll, we'll, we'll come back uh, in a week or two with with part two of Sega. Is that right, Eric? Because I think this is that, that's the, fine. I can talk a little bit about the games at Apple too, because we did play some games. There were a few. There were like the the castle games and stuff. Um, Dark Castle, I think it was. Oh, Did you ever play that? I've heard it. I haven't played it. Yeah, it's one bit, and it's the most beautiful one bit game you've ever seen. It's got little bricks that were made just to, like I put three pixels in, and that's that's a dark brick. You know, and it's a, it's dungeon, so it's dirty, and you're swinging. It had one of the first swinging mechanisms, probably in any game, because I don't think I'd seen a ton of swinging on on um, Spider Man webs or vines or well, no, Pit, Pitfall <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I was yeah. Say, Pitfall <laughs> had it, but that was made out of three three lengths of pixel. Um, it was, yeah, I guess they'd figured out smooth swinging. And, um, but this was done so much sharper because when you look at Pitfall, it's big, glowing, it's on your TV. So yeah. sharpness wasn't a thing until um, quite a bit down the road, um, past 8 bit. So one bit and on a, a Macintosh monitor, sharp as could be. And it was designed for the Macintosh little screen and stuff. And uh, just gorgeous. So I played a ton of Dark Castle. 
played um, Cosmic Osmo. Have you ever heard of that? Haven't I? It's a one-bit hypercard game. It is the precursor of Myst. Um, the guys that made Myst, classic. yep, classic. Had made nothing but Macintosh stuff first, and um, figured out how to put better graphics on the same point-and-touch, point-and-click system. And so it was a mystery. You you were just poking around. It's very low stakes. It's fun. Like you click under the kitchen cupboard and there's like two singing potatoes. <laughs> like silly stuff. <laughs> They're almost Pee Wee Herman level. There was also a game from a guy that was a fine artist that was really good who was um, who did absurd illustration stuff in a Pee Wee Herman style. God, his name is not going to surface. But um, there was experimental kind of yeah. games and stuff that were on Macintosh. It was people that were big Mac fans that just wanted to make something fun. And it was definitely going to be on the Mac because that's what they loved. Todd Rundgren um, made an operating system, the musician Todd Rundgren. He was a, he was a, a, a programmer. He, he made his own operating system for Macintosh and came to Apple and showed it. And he was so you know proud of it and excited that he didn't want to talk about music or anything else, really. So he's demonstrating it, and he was, programmers were talking to him, but I thought, I have nothing to talk to this guy about. I would talk to him about his music. <laughs> <laughs> like in this era but um it was a little tiny theater in apple that he came and demoed it and we'd have crazy stuff like that we had um the guy that wrote hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and uh did a lot of doctor who writing um oh what's his name oh, i'm tipping my tongue um cripes i should have approached from his name not his work um it's, it's, it, let me google it. Well, i'll know this and i'm gonna hit, you know hitch, well, what's his face um <laughs> yeah Hitchhiker's Guide. So it was um, written by Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. So he That's it, yeah. he came to the um, HyperCard 2 launch party that Apple threw because Apple never won not to have a party. And um, we're all wearing our HyperCard jackets and stuff. And I have a, I have a HyperCard bowling shirt in the back. And um, he was a huge fan. And he actually wrote a version of Hitchhiker's Guide that shipped on Macintosh floppies. And you would you would read it on your uh, screen. I don't think we had anything handheld other than Newton at that point, which would have been an okay thing to read off of, except I don't think it had a backlight. And um, But he was just a huge fan. And so I think he had hypertext so that when you found words in the, in the copy, you could click them and go to another place, which that was the big thing on HyperCard, which now it's like, what's the big deal? It's like, no, that didn't exist <laughs> before the late 80s. There wasn't a thing like hypertext. And so he demoed it, the stuff he had done to us in a hotel room. Like he had brought his Macintosh, I think, from England, which they were not small. Wow. They had a bag made just for him that was the size of a, like an elephant's foot and um, had padding all over the place. They had the big keyboards back then with the mice, you know, the, the, the letters were the, – the keyboard was this high off just with the bezel. And then the keys were another half an inch. <laughs> and they were clack, 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 clack. And so – he he's showing us that he may have just brought it on discs and asked you know somebody to bring it back. I don't remember, but I was just excited to be there with him. Same thing, like I could have asked him a million questions because I was up to speed on on eighty four yeah. Doctor Who. So all Tom Baker Doctor yeah. Who stuff was yeah. played on our PBS, and I think he wrote at that at that era. He, if not, definitely the era before. I think he was definitely Doctor Who writer too. I mean, uh, Tom Baker writer. Anyway, um, and I'd read Hitchhiker's Guide and stuff like that, and. Uh, 
all he wanted to talk about was, you know, the exciting stuff in Hypercard, but it's like, that's work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're also drinking and stuff, so it's like, I'll, I'll put up with anything. That's fine. I'll, I'll sit and listen to you for a minute. And uh, so we had some fun celebrity stuff like that that were just like, nice they were usually approaching it from a different angle that was not ideal, but they weren't ever jerks. Everybody that came through were, were fun and nice people. And um, then we got a certain celebrity cachet just being from Apple. So we go to SIGGRAPH and have our badges would say we're from Apple. And um, it was nice. That was a nice uh, balance. And Sega was sort of the same going to CES um, with Sega badges and stuff like that. And um, after that, uh, E3. That started while I was at Sega. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, if you want to do the, the Apple, I think, stuff, I think I've covered most everything that was funny. Parties in San Francisco, like black and white ball kind of parties, like just everything else was crazy social stuff. But it was like with big bands. Like, have you ever seen a real big band when they they have everybody that, that fills it out? It's all horns yeah, yeah, from yeah. 40s. They had, a, uh, I think, one with two big bands, so they could play against each other. Because there are certain songs where they 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 play, and then the other one answers, and then they unbelievable to see in person and be walking between them. And they do stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's that's our annual party. <laughs> It was, Apple it, sounds crazy. Amazing. it was nuts and did not appreciate it fully. That and the fact that it was half men, half women working there. I just assumed that's the way business was because college is that way. High school is that way. It's not that way in the real world. It was, not in the computer industry, no. No, yeah. no, you're right. Well, so, look, Eric, let's, let's we, we can close this particular interview. Then we can come back uh, in a week or two with part two. Is that all right? So sure, listeners, guys. Eric's right. been, you know, it's been so good listening about the Apple stories. And the next, the next interview we're going to do will be about Eric and Sega, which I'm really looking forward to. So, guys, please tune in for the next interview. It might be this week or the following week. But Eric, you're a gentleman. Oh, thanks. I'm, I figured I'd like three quarters through that ramble, I'm like, I think I better scoot on that Sega. <laughs> but it's like there were so many Apple stories. I hadn't really thought of them ahead of time, so I was kept tripping over them as I was kind of going backwards. But uh, it was fun to talk about them, and I look forward to all the Sega stuff. I I had three years at Sega, but it was a, a concentrated three years, so it's easily enough for another show. And then, um, yeah, well, I look forward to talking to you, and then um, just uh, keep in touch. Bring and if on. anybody ever wants to ask me questions and stuff like that, uh, uh, your listeners and things, I'm on Twitter, and you can give that stuff out. I'll put them in the show notes, Eric. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I've been looking. I'm looking forward to this. I liked Eric's interview a lot. It was sweet of him to call to shout me out. Yeah, he did. And then, uh, yeah. I called him out on mispronouncing my name, and then he he got back to me on instant messenger, and it took me like a week to see it. I'm like, oh no, that's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Eric Wahlberg, yeah, another brilliant interview we did a few months ago. Please check it out. You know, excellent. Um, thank you, Eric. Hello, listeners. Dylan here. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the second half of this chat. So next week we'll have one of our discussion podcasts. And then the week after, Adrian will be grilling Eric all about his time at Sega. So be sure to tune in to that. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating, we'd really appreciate it.
If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews, and other bonus content. So, until next time, take care, and we'll speak to you soon.